Welcome to the Why on Earth Community Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron William Perry. Today, we're in Laramie, Wyoming, recording with Rowdy Yates, the founder of High Plains Biochar. Hi, Rowdy. Howdy, guys. Glad to be here. Yeah, man. Really excited to talk with you today. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've got a lot to cover with biochar, agricultural uses, carbon sequestration, a whole set of intersecting issues uh, coming together right here at uh, what you're doing as an inventor and entrepreneur and a technology maker. Perfect, sounds great. Yeah. Rowdy Yates is originally from Casper, Wyoming. He went to high school and college in Oklahoma, graduating from Oklahoma State University with a business degree. He always had an interest in building and metal fabrication and owned a boat dock construction business in Oklahoma. He also lived in Texas and Nebraska, the latter uh, being the place where High Plains Biochar was founded. Now we're here looking at, fast forwarding a few years, the Rocket Char 301 technology you're gonna hear a lot about that is one of the latest and greatest of High Plains offerings. In 2021, they built the first working pilot unit and went through a Microsoft funded accelerator called G-Beta and then in 2022, they were chosen for a United States Department of Energy uh, technology accelerator called REACH, which is run by Colorado State University and Innisfear Ventures in Fort Collins, Colorado. Earlier this year, 2022, Kevin Johnson joined the team and is helping Rowdy now as they're accelerating and scaling up the technology and also working to create the world's first biochar cooperative where participating members can verify and sell the carbon credits coming from the biochar production that the group is responsible for. And uh, that, that project is uh, being uh, created in collaboration with the Rocky Mountain Farmers Union. So we've got a lot to talk about here, Rowdy, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll help explain what some of this means to those in our audience who maybe aren't quite as familiar, but uh, let us let, just jump right in and, and I'll ask you, uh, what is biochar and, and what's the big deal about biochar right now? Oh, biochar, what is biochar? The really cool thing about biochar is most of you have actually made biochar and don't even realize it. So if you've had a campfire and ever found large chunks of charcoal in the, in, in the pit after in the next morning, you've actually made biochar yourself. If you've ever burned toast in your toaster, you've actually <laughs> made biochar yourself. So believe it or not, you've actually made biochar. But in simple terms, biochar is charcoal created from cooking biomass at high temperatures in the absence of oxygen. We typically use wood chips, but hemp, there's a lot of other feedstocks that you can use to make biochar with. And what are the properties of biochar that are making it such an important potential application in soil and even you know in other agricultural uses? What, what, what's it doing? You know, I think the, the neat thing about uh, biochar is the longevity of it. So it's, it's carbon that we can add to our soil, but it lasts for thousands of years, which is much different uh, than a lot of the other short-term uh, soil amendments that are used. So that's really the, the, the big difference between biochar and a lot of the other soil amend amendments that are out there. And that's also how we can sequester carbon. So a tree can pull carbon out of the atmosphere. We turn that wood into a a stable form of carbon that lasts for thousands of years uh, in the soil and that's how we're able to work with nature and actually remove carbon from the atmosphere. Yeah it's really interesting and I know a lot of our farming and gardening friends and colleagues are really excited about what biochar is doing in the soil as a soil amendment for the plants and the 
water retention. Can you explain to us what's going on there in terms of the properties as well? Absolutely. I think for that we really need to go back thousands of years to where the ancient Amazonians were creating terra preta, where they were adding charcoal and different things to the soils to grow more food for these large civilizations. And that's how they were able to improve the soil health to the point where they could actually grow large amounts of food on fairly small parts of land. And now fast forward several thousand years and we're essentially rediscovering this ancient technology that the Amazonians knew. Uh, but now we have new technologies for making biochar like the Rocketchar 301, and we have a lot of other really unique applications where biochar is being used. Uh, one neat one that we're, we focus on is using biochar in animal feed. Uh, there are other projects that are adding biochar to asphalt projects. Uh, so there's just a really a lot of neat uses around biochar right now. Yeah, when it's uh, used as an animal feed, what what is it doing to benefit the animals and or benefit the climate situation? Yeah, you know, I think to start with, with the, in simple terms, the biochar is helping to pass toxins. So a lot of the, the feed that animals uh, eat ingest right now, they have, they've they been sprayed with different chemicals, the different hays, the different grains that they're eating, and so these chemicals build up in their digestive system, and the first thing that biochar does is it removes those toxins from the digestive system. Um, we've also seen benefits as far as increased milk output in dairies. Uh, we've done some research with the University of Nebraska doing a feed trial where we were actually able to reduce methane output from cattle by about 10 to 15 percent, so essentially removing the burps, uh, which was surprising to me. I uh, always assumed that the methane production came out the other end of the cow, but apparently a lot of the methane actually comes out the, the burp, burping side of the cow. No kidding. Yeah, that's new to me too, actually, Roddy. And what about, what about asphalt? When biochar is used in asphalt, how is it improving performance there? You know, there's some really interesting stuff. I'm not an expert in the biochar and asphalt, but I've watched a few uh, webinars on it. It sounds like that the biochar itself makes for a, a, an asphalt that can be applied at lower temperatures. Um, but I think the big benefit for adding the biochar to the asphalt is the carbon aspect of it. We're able to have these paving projects where we're actually sequestering carbon from the atmosphere while we're paving our streets. And that's a really uh, interesting aspect to me. But I think there are some chemical properties that make the biochar as far as the temperature um, and the longevity of the asphalt improves by adding the biochar. Very interesting. Now I you know I've had a hand I have burnt some toast in the past <laughs> I will cop to that but I've had a handful of uh, wonderful campfires over the years and uh, you know when we get them burning nice and hot we tend to end up with just ash at the end and I'm wondering could you just describe for us technically and up here behind us you can see the window into the unit is actually burning now you might be able to see the flames there through the window if uh, you're looking at the video um, can you explain to us what's going on with this combustion that we're not just ending up with ash and we're actually left with this really useful biochar product correct in a normal campfire situation the wood Oxygen is in contact with it and eventually it turns into ash. You might find some charcoal kind of tucked in the corners in the back area or if you put your fire out before it's done, you will obviously have some charcoal there. But in this case, what we're doing, we're running at about 1200 degrees. So inside behind that window, it's 1200 degrees. And what we're doing is we're heating that wood waste up, but in the absence of oxygen. So it's in, inside of a reactor tube so that we're able to not allow that oxygen to come in contact with the wood. And that's how we create the biochar. It's high temperature in the absence of oxygen, which is called pyrolysis. Yeah, and with this pyrolysis, I understand the output is not only uh, a form of carbon that's going to stay very stable in the ground or whatever other application it's put into, but that also there's a whole bunch of porous, almost like sponge-like uh, uh, surface area created inside of the char itself. And can you explain to us what the 
increased surface area is and, and what that's going to do for things like soil, uh, water retention, etc. Absolutely. So uh, the, the carbon structure of biochar is a very high carbon product, but if you look closely under a microscope, what you'll actually see is hollow carbon tubes. Hmm. Um, and that is the surface area where one gram of biochar can typically have two to three hundred square meters of surface area just in one gram, which is really just mind-boggling. But what that is in the soil is, is housing for microbes. It gives them a structure to thrive in, uh, uh, and they really like getting inside those hollow carbon tubes and setting up shop essentially. So it's apartment complexes for our soil microbes and fungi and protozoa and all the other life going on in our soil. Wow, that, that's really in, important and amazing and especially in the more arid and semi-arid parts of the world, right? This becomes part of the water conservation and, and water utilization strategy and, and food and uh, herbal medicine production. Is that something you're seeing interest in from around the world? Absolutely. By adding the biochar to the soils, we can reduce the amount of water that's required to grow those crops and it can hold that moisture in the soil so that for more days. So when a normal soil might dry out, a soil emitted with biochar might get two more days of available moisture to those roots and that can make a lot of difference in producing crops. Yeah. Wow. That's significant. Um, and speaking of crops, what are some of the inputs uh, you had mentioned wood what are some of the other agricultural inputs that can be utilized to make the biochar? Yeah, you know, that's really the neat thing about biochar is you have a lot of flexibility in what you can use. So farms may have different crop residues, oat holes, corn residues, different things like that that might make a great feedstock. A hemp farmer might use uh, hemp flour after the CBD has been extracted. Um, a sawmill might have uh, sawdust and other waste that they're utilizing. So cities, they'll have municipal urban waste available for a lot of their urban tree projects. So when you start looking around, there's biomass and possible feedstock for biochar just about everywhere you look. Yeah, it's so interesting. Now, can you tell us, here's the hot box. I can feel the heat coming off. What's going on here with the process logic system that you've developed? Yeah, so this is a really neat project. Colorado State University helped us develop this control box. And what this is doing is it's controlling the temperature. So this little PID controller here, we're running at about 1190 degrees right now. Uh, and that's controlling our temperature. We also have controls for things like ignition, our bin vibrators, our draft inducers. We're able to control the speed of our fuel augers and our biochar auger, which allows us to control the temperature and the dwell time of our biochar. And then finally, we're using a quench pump here to actually stop that burning process and uh, turn the biochar and uh, steam activate the biochar to increase that pore surf and surface area. I remember you were say, saying about uh, before we started recording how the quenching process considerably enhances surface area. And, and when we're looking at something like the activated carbon that some folks will use, we're, we're at the very kind of extreme end of that surface area potential. Is, we are. Give us an idea of that. Yeah, we're able to take regular biochar and by steam quenching, we're able to open those pores up just a little bit more and that increases our surface area to we're actually approaching the surface area of some uh, activated carbons without having to go through the typical activation process. We're just using the heat that we generate from the process for the steam activation so there's no extra energy consumed. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and you were explaining uh, also beforehand that this theoretically could be producing its own electricity requirements so that these could be deployed in very remote uh, settings 
and not require any external or additional electricity input. Can you explain to us how that would work? That's correct. So basically this technology, one of the really unique features of this technology is that it doesn't require a fan for moving air. That essentially makes this the Prius of biochar technologies because of the low power consumption. And part of that also means that these can run on very little elect electricity. And what our goal is, is to create the first carbon negative technology that runs on its own energy. Um, no one's ever done this before. And we feel like with a thermoelectric generator utilizing the heat uh, from the exhaust stack on this that we can actually do that. This machine right now is only consuming about 1.2 amps of electricity while operating. So it's just this technology requires very, very little electricity to operate, which is what makes it different than all the other biochar technologies in the world. It's amazing. And, and right next to the room that we're in currently, the structure where we're in currently with the unit, is your machine shop. And, been over there and you know you and I met I think something like five six years ago yeah, I think that sounds about right been up uh, once or twice this way you've been down to a couple of our why on earth events over the years and uh, it's been so wonderful the way you've sh shown up and shared and educated folks uh, about the opportunities we have with biochar but I got to say with what you're able to uh, do in your machine shop rowdy it's it's extraordinary and you you are really one of these inventor entrepreneur types who has figured out a way to make this technology very simple, very foolproof, and requiring very little in the way of operational maintenance, right? So that this can get deployed in communities, farms, uh, places even uh, all around the world, right? Where this is gonna bring a lot of different benefits into people's lives. And, and I'd love to ask you, what, what are some of the challenges that you've seen with other technologies that you've been able to kind of solve out of this technology and two-part question you know what where are you seeing a, a huge opportunity for there to be great humanitarian impact uh deploying these units uh, outside of the united states yeah you know as far as the technologies go there's uh there's a, a need for, for, for more biochar technologies right yeah. now. A lot of the older technologies that are available aren't super energy efficient, so they require a lot of electricity to operate. A lot of them don't utilize the, the heat that they're generating. Um, a lot of them use fossil fuels for startup process. Um, so there's a lot of improvement to be made in some of those technologies, and that's kind of what we did. We just tried to keep things simple, get right back to the basics, and if, if when, when we were engineering, if things got complicated, we just backed up and kept things simple. And that's really what the, the difference is in this technology. Um, so as far as scaling out the technology, the sky's the limit here because this technology is small scale and can be used on a farm in India or a farm in Indiana. It really, the sky's the limit as far as how many of these that we could actually deploy and make a difference. Right now, this machine is removing about six pounds of carbon dioxide per hour from the atmosphere. The average person emits about four tons of carbon dioxide per year as far as their carbon footprint. This machine is, is enough to actually offset an entire person's carbon footprint for the year just by operating this machine. Wow, that's amazing. And then you're getting all those additional ancillary benefits, amending soil and so on. Yes, yeah, so you've got the heat that you can utilize. So in colder climates, that heat can be utilized to heat a greenhouse, heat a shop building, heat a house. Um, you're also getting the biochar to you know enhance your soil. And then on top of that, there's biochar carbon credits that are associated with producing biochar that are worth about $100 a ton. So there's, a, there's really three different kind of income streams from utilizing a waste product and turning it into biochar. Yeah, this, this whole carbon credit piece has uh, really gotten exciting the last couple of years. And, you know, going clear back to when I was in school looking at sustainability issues, this is about, I don't know, 25 years ago. For many, many years, as you know, Rowdy, there's been this kind of background discussion of when the carbon markets come alive and, and when carbon's 
pricing out and we're thinking maybe $5, maybe $10 a ton. And now here we are fast forward a quarter century from when I was uh, looking at this back in school. And by golly, we've got a very active carbon market and we're seeing some very exciting pricing uh, signals coming from the global carbon market. I, I'd love to hear from your perspective. How have you seen the picture with the carbon trading evolve these last several years? And, and what's your sense about uh, the role uh, biochar is going to be playing over the next several years, the next couple of decades as a global community here is responding to the very serious need to pull carbon out of the atmosphere? Yeah, you know, that's, that's really a, a unique thing. The way carbon credits have evolved and a lot of our soil carbon credits have gotten popular. Uh, the, the neat thing about biochar carbon credits is that biochar can be weighed. It can be put in a bag and we can measure that much easier than we can measure soil carbon, which takes a lot of testing and over periods of years. So that's really the beauty of biochar carbon credits. The other beauty of biochar is that it lasts for thousands of years in the soil. So it's not just a very short-term carbon removal. Some of the carbon projects might only be for 50 years or 100 years, where we're talking thousands of years and that's why biochar carbon credits are worth so much uh, worth considerably more than other carbon credits as well so we're most most carbon credits are worth 25 to 50 dollars a ton and biochar carbon credits are now worth between 100 and 200 dollars a ton just because of their longevity and because of the ease of measuring and documenting the the removal of the carbon just by simply bagging and weighing the biochar versus having to test soils or uh, navigate some of those more difficult testing options yeah that makes a lot of sense now I'm not asking you to, you know, tell the future or peer into your crystal ball here, but what's your sense in terms of how the biochar carbon credit value is going to price over the coming years? Do you think it'll be pretty stable in that range or, or something else? I, basically, a lot of the indications that we're seeing is that the biochar carbon credits are going to continue to be a premium carbon credit and mm -hmm. demand a higher price on the marketplace uh, just because of that longevity and the simplicity of measuring them compared to some of the other methods. So it feels like biochar is slowly gaining momentum and climbing its way towards the top of kind of that list of the best ways to remove carbon from the atmosphere for longer periods of time. Yeah, interesting. Now, I know a lot of our colleagues are working on other aspects of regenerative agricultural solutions that are also sequestering carbon, as you mentioned, soil building. Is anybody yet piecing together, hey, when you add a ton of biochar to the soil, you've got that ton of carbon sequestered value, but you're also stimulating a lot of additional soil building activity more than likely. Is, is anybody piecing that together yet as like an integrated strategy? Yes, yeah, so I think there were some studies out of Australia now that are in their past their five year since they began and we're starting to see that you're right there was an initial boost from adding the biochar to the soil but it also accelerates further carbon uh, sequestration in the soil we're part of a really unique project that's getting funded by usda as part of their climate smart commodities program where we're going to be applying biochar with cover crop seed to see what kind of benefits we can have enhanced with cover crops by adding the biochar to that. And we're going to be doing 3,000 acres over five years and measuring those long-term effects. So we're really excited about seeing some of these benefits uh, because the, more of the long-term picture of what adding carbon to your soil does. Yeah, that's so exciting. And I know we've been kicking around a few ideas and a few opportunities for High Plains Biochar and the Why on Earth community to collaborate further. And one of the, one of the things that we've been discussing is this cooperative model that that you're putting together and uh, I'd love to hear from you Rowdy if you're you're looking out over the next several years and this vision has come to full fruition 
what does it look like? How can different communities, different farmers be a part of this mechanism that you're putting together that will allow all kinds of folks to be a part of this major movement? Yeah, that's the really neat thing about this technology is what makes it so different is it's much smaller scale than most of the really large scale biochar technologies that cost millions of dollars, where this is at a price point and at a scale where this can be deployed at a farm anywhere in the world, uh, where we can have farmers in India that are producing biochar, we can have farmers in, uh, in Europe that are producing biochar, we can have sawmills in the Midwest producing biochar, and our goal is to deploy as much of this technology around the world as possible, get everyone producing biochar and the associated carbon credits, and then take all those carbon credits and put them together and market them as a group. And that way we can take what's really difficult for a small individual farmer to do on their own, and we can make that really easy because we're doing it as such a large group. Yeah, it's so exciting. I just, I, we're working on some related things at the Y on Earth community to help folks turn their yards into food forests and permacultures and, you know, soil building is such a big part of this. And I'm just thrilled that we're at, living in a time right now where there's so much innovation and so much opportunity for us to, you know, lock arms and uh, have a lot of positive impact by collaborating together. And uh, I, I'm really excited about what you're up to, Rowdy, and where things are headed. And maybe, maybe I'll, I'll ask you with uh, all that in mind, what, you know, what's your biggest need right now? Like what, what is uh, from between here and thousands of these being deployed, what does High Plains Biochar need to make that happen? Yeah, you know, if, uh, like a lot of businesses for scaling up and growing, it's going to take some funding. And yeah. that's been the real challenge right now um, with between, you know, looking at a recession that's possibly coming up on here in the United States and after getting out of kind of the, the COVID issues that we've had, it's been kind of a challenging environment to raise funds to deploy technologies like this. And we're really hopeful that we can find the right group or the right people to work with to where we can make that happen at a larger scale, uh, because that's really the goal here is to make the biggest impact that we can for the next generation and we know that this technology is essentially going to be the model T of biochar technologies mm -hmm. that finally enabled the average farmer, the average ranch, the average sawmill to actually get involved and start removing carbon from the atmosphere when that wasn't always possible. And uh, it's going to take a lot of uh, a lot of teamwork to make that happen, but we're really excited about uh, meeting new people and opportunities to, uh, to find that match that we're looking for. Yeah, that's absolutely wonderful. Let me uh, remind folks, this is the Why on Earth Community Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron William Perry. And today we're visiting with Rowdy Yates, the founder of High Plains Biochar. And you can find out more about the company at hpbiochar.com. Uh, you can also go to biocharco-op.com. Of course, we'll have all these links in the show notes. Uh, you can find uh, High Plains Biochar on Facebook at HP Biochar. And uh, of course, uh, invite you to check out some of the other related podcast episodes we've recorded in the past that tie into this subject and we'll indicate in the show notes a few uh, suggestions there for you whyonearth.org uh, want to give a shout out to some of our sponsors and partners making this uh, podcast series possible and uh, that includes waylay waters the regeneratively grown and biodynamically grown hemp infused aromatherapy soaking salts this is a social enterprise that we incubated through the Why on Earth community. Our ambassadors have an opportunity when you join the ambassador network 
to give at certain monthly levels so that you're receiving monthly shipments of these soaking salts that are amazing in terms of aches and pains, helping with sleep and so on. Also, we've got our SoilWorks uh, biodynamic uh, soil activation product. You can go to whyonearth.org slash soilworks for that, waylaywaters.com and uh, on the Why on Earth site for the Waylay Waters. Um, you'll find info there. And then finally, Purium, our friends making these amazing organic uh, superfood um, powders and, and pills that come right from the farm. And uh, all you got to do is add water and you've got some liquid sunshine or liquid veriditas, whatever you want to call it. And we've got a special deal at uh, whyonearth.org slash Purium where uh, you can get $50 off your first order or 25%, whichever is greater. And there's a no-risk 60-day uh, guaranteed money-back uh, deal for you there. So if you want to enjoy some of the health benefits of these organic superfoods, we really encourage you to check out whyonearth.org slash Purium. And 20% of those proceeds come back to support our work at the nonprofit. So that's really uh, hugely appreciated. And uh, yeah, you know, Rowdy, I am so excited about everything that uh, you've shared with us already today. And uh, I want to ask, um, what's, what's a day in the life of Rowdy Yates looking like here in Laramie? You know, this is about uh, just under two hours drive from the Boulder Lions area where we tend to reside and work. And, uh, you know, what's, what's life like for Rowdy when he's not in the workshop or not firing up the biochar here? Uh, you know, I have a 15-year-old daughter, so I like to get out and uh, enjoy, uh, enjoy the, the lake and the river with her. We, we love floating some of the rivers around here and paddle boarding um, this time of year with being in the fall, so hunting season's going on. So we like getting out in the woods and chasing animals around in the woods a little bit and uh, enjoying some of the wonderful Wyoming outdoors together. That's absolutely wonderful. Yeah, you know, my, my son's name is, is Hunter, as uh, a lot of folks know, and when, when he was about, I don't know, five or six years old, I realized, by golly, with a name like that, I probably ought to take him hunting once or <laughs> there twice. You go. And so we, we kind of joke that uh, a lot of the time it's a, uh, a long walk in the woods, which we enjoy, but with uh, some extra uh, weight and gear to carry Yeah, around. the heavy backpack and a long walk in the woods, yeah. uh, it makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> an absolutely beautiful way to experience a lot of the wilderness out west and I, I imagine some of our listeners may not be familiar that especially in the Rocky Mountain West a lot of the the fees from the hunting and the fishing licenses actually go to support a bunch of uh, wilderness conservation ecological conservation and even restoration projects and this is a huge piece in, in Colorado. I, I'm not as familiar with what's happening in Wyoming, but is it a similar dynamic? Very similar situation yeah. here. We were just at a Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation uh, dinner a couple weeks ago uh, for conservation projects that they do here. The Muley Fanatic Foundation is also really active as far as their conservation projects around wildlife. Oh, that's great, Rowdy. Well, uh, yeah, I am, I'm so excited about what, what you've been able to accomplish thus far and so excited to see what's coming next knowing that you've really set the table and, and things are poised for uh, all of this to scale up in such a powerful way and uh, I guess you know before we sign off with our episode Rowdy is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience or you know just say in general about the work that you're doing uh, you know it's it's not so much about the work that I'm doing my uh, my is 
my goal is to encourage you to no matter where you're at, where you're located, what your situation is, do what you can to make a difference. Whether that's doing some uh, some work with biodynamic soil activators, whatever whatever you can do, figure out what you can do and make a difference. That that's really the main thing is that everybody's situation is different and just go out and uh, and make a difference in whatever way you can. Yeah, it's really wonderful. Uh, uh, I couldn't agree more with that one, Rowdy. And and listen, on the on the website for High Plains Biochar, there are also some great videos where uh, Rowdy's walking and talking through some of the more technical aspects of the technology. So I encourage you to check that out. And you know, I'll be remiss if we're not able to open this up uh, before we sign off on the episode, just to show some of the <laughs> some of the more uh, nuanced and technical stuff sure. we got going inside Colorado the box Colorado State here. University did a great job. The folks over at Powerhouse helped us design and build this control box, but they, uh, they did a fantastic job. Uh, we really enjoy working with the folks over there at uh, CSU Powerhouse. And, and you've been able to basically, through some of this sophistication with elegant design, make it so the unit is extremely easy for anyone to operate, isn't that right? That's exactly right. We're, yeah. we're trying to make it as easy as possible. We even have an app so that you can actually just uh, monitor this on your phone and actually shut the, shut the unit off on your phone. So we're trying to make it really uh, as simple to use uh, for, for kind of the modern, uh, the modern world, I guess. Oh, that's absolutely Simple wonderful. technology for the modern world. Simple <laughs> technology, yeah. I love it, Rowdy. Well, thanks so much, my friend. It's yes, been sir, great absolutely. visiting with you. All right, that was great. Yeah, yeah, it was, it's real funny. We're actually going to plant the choke cherry from the 2018 Why on Earth event. We're going to plant it here uh, coming up in the next few weeks. We've got a bunch of uh, elderberries and stuff, but you remember that? You, yep. you gave me that. Totally. Uh, we put it in a big container. It's been sitting out in my garden for like four years. That is awesome. So, but, that is awesome. Yeah, when we do the behind the scenes I'm going to mention it. Yeah, yeah I always plan to, to mention it. Oh, you do? So you're... We're gonna, yeah, we're gonna do another little short thing. Everything good over there? Oh yeah. Cool. I was just gonna say that was awesome. Oh right on. So much. Right on, right on. No, you're all good. Should I give you a shout out? No, no, no. You sure? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, yep. Uh, let's see here. You ready? Yes. Sir. All right. Hey friends, it's Aaron here and uh, just finished recording a podcast with my buddy Rowdy Yates, the founder of High Plains Biochar. And uh, here we are behind the scenes, Rowdy, uh, putting together a little additional chat for our ambassador network. And uh, thanks so much. It's been such a great conversation and really uh, interesting and educational. And uh, yeah, I, I uh, thought we might dive in. You were mentioning something about planting some uh, choke cherry tree. That's right. That's right. We we, we were talking about the uh, back. We did some uh, events with the Why on Earth team. I want to say back in 2018, I believe it was, where we did yeah. a little biochar demonstration there in Boulder. Um, I, I remember the the great folks that hosted that event. They had all the animals and different stuff. We had a great time down there. But yeah, we uh, picked up a choke cherry uh, from the Why on Earth ambassador team there in 2018, and now. Uh, at the end of 2022, we're getting ready to plant that uh, with some other elderberries in a, one of our berry patches that's coming up. But it's really uh, neat when you can take a, a little seedling that's really small and before you know it, in a few years, you actually have something really, really great. Yep, it's absolutely beautiful. And what a great kind of metaphor for all the, the work we're engaged in together and through the network. And yeah, I think those, uh, those saplings, that rootstock, might have come from the uh, CSU nursery outside of Fort Collins. I believe Collins. it did because you had some pine trees there. With it, yeah. You know, I remember. I think they, yeah. they came from there as well. Yeah, another great resource that's putting out thousands of 
baby trees, a bunch of varieties of baby trees appropriate for the Rocky Mountain West every year. They're also a big biochar supporter. They have a whole wood utilization team there at the Colorado Forestry Division and they do a fantastic job promoting biochar in the state. Oh, no kidding. Absolutely. Huh. I wasn't aware of that. Cool. That's really great. Well, I thought, you know, here we are behind the scenes, Rowdy, and I, I thought I might ask, you know, sort of one entrepreneur to another, uh, how painful is it sometimes being an entrepreneur and what do you, what do, you do to deal with the deal with the tough times uh have a great support staff a good family and friends yeah. uh, are the best thing an entrepreneur's best friend because there are days where it feels really lonely yeah. when everything that can go wrong does go wrong and it all comes back to you because you're the the buck stops with you because you're the entrepreneur and it can make you really question why you do this but then there are the good days when it when it feels like it's all worth it and you realize you're making a difference in the world and uh, that really makes you feel good inside so i think the uh, being an entrepreneur is kind of like riding a roller coaster, the highest of highs, and it can be the lowest of lows as well. But we uh, we still keep coming back for more for some reason. I guess we're just wired that way. You know, it's uh, I, I used to joke that I think being an entrepreneur might be a hereditary disease because I, I know my father is and was an entrepreneur. and um, But more and more, as I'm interviewing more and more entrepreneurs, I'm, this theme is emerging that yeah, it actually is really, really challenging at times. And it's in, in the sharing of the story there, the camaraderie, the relationships, the support, the ability to call somebody up and let them know, gosh, I'm, I'm having a rough day and they're there for you, that uh, there, there's something in the ecosystem there that I'm fascinated by as it sort of relates and mirrors to how natural wilderness ecosystems work where the fungus and the plants are kind of supporting each other in a way when they're in need of a set of nutrients the mycelial networks might help enable that resource flow within the soil and so on and anyway it's, it's a theme that's been emerging more and more and so i guess it's this is a shout out to all the regenerative and eco entrepreneurs out there uh, not to lose heart or lose hope and perhaps moreover and and maybe this is one of the ways why on earth can add even more value as a community network in time maybe there's a way for us to build even more of a support network for each other because i i know for one that there can be some pretty tough days there oh absolutely being a business owner especially right now you know the challenges just uh you know we have businesses that are so busy and they can't get staffing so they're failing even though they're busy so it's just like it's it's such a challenge right now that uh that businesses could fail in a lot of different ways but i think the regenerative agriculture movement is so big it's like a locomotive that is just picking up so much steam right now that uh, it's going to be great if we can connect with more of these folks in, in at the grassroots level you know at the large corporate farm level that's a different thing but when you really get down to the grassroots the individual farms the individual ranchers uh that's really that's really my place i love the, the grassroots movement of all this um, and that's kind of what we're trying to do at High Plains Biochar is take a grassroots movement and make it make it a worldwide movement a, a lot like you're doing with Why on Earth. Oh that's 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 another great tagline man taking a grassroots movement worldwide something like that I like that a lot <laughs> yeah and um, do, do you end up traveling a lot with the networking that you're doing with various farmers or ranchers? You know, we, we do some uh, here kind of in, in the region, but I um, I do a lot more of my work here at the shop, to be yeah. honest with you. I'm an inventor, I'm a fabricator, and I'm at my best when I'm building and working and doing those kind of things. Um, so I think that's, as an entrepreneur, you have to wear a lot of hats, and so yeah. being that networking is one of those things that, I've, that I, it's a little more challenging for me, mm. so I can't just 
close the door and work and weld. I have to actually go out and do stuff. So that's uh, that's been fun to get out to. Farmers and ranchers are really great, at, like soil health events uh, and that kind of thing. So it's really great to get out and meet meet folks like that. That's absolutely wonderful. Well, uh, I gotta say, man, I'm I'm just I'm so happy for you and proud of you for all that you've accomplished these last few years, and uh, real excited to see where this is all headed and hopeful we get to do some more collaborating. Yeah, absolutely. I think it seems like but we've both come a long way in the last few years and we both are uh, passionate entrepreneurs that can really care about what we're doing and uh, making a difference. That's that's what it's all about and I feel like we're both doing that. Yep, absolutely, man. Well, thanks again, Rowdy, and uh, thanks for taking a few minutes to go behind the scenes with us. Is there anything else? Uh, oh, yeah, we were going to show share? we were going to show everybody a little bit of biochar. That's right. Here. That's right. So here's a little bit of biochar just if you weren't haven't ever ever seen any biochar that's it yep okay cool all right rowdy thanks my man see you everybody the why on earth community stewardship and sustainability podcast series is hosted by aaron william perry author thought leader and executive consultant the podcast and video recordings are made possible by the generous support of people like you to sign up as a daily weekly or monthly supporter please visit whyonearth.org backslash support. Support packages start at just $1 per month. The podcast series is also sponsored by several corporate and organization sponsors. You can get discounts on their products and services using the code whyonearth, all one word with a Y. These sponsors are listed on the whyonearth.org backslash support page. If you found this particular podcast episode especially insightful, informative, or inspiring, please pass it on and share it with a friend whom you think will also enjoy it. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And thank you for being a part of the Why on Earth community.